Last week I had spoke about the, whole, the concept of year of fear. I mean, there's a great deal to speak about, but uh, at least <coughs> with the Ramchal, from the Ramchal standpoint, to fear God and to love God is, is foundational. That's probably the right word. Is foundational to serve the Rabban Islam. It really is, because if you don't fear God, then obviously you're not going to serve Him too much. <coughs> and you will sin because you're not afraid of any kind of repercussions or accountability, as I said last time. And also, <clears throat> uh, loving God, because you will go, if you love somebody, you will go out of your way to try to, uh, you know, in some way, uh, exhibit your love for them. So last week I had mentioned, we had gone to the sugya, the Indian, the topic of Europe, fear. Um, I mean, there's a great, obviously a great deal to say, but at least we have a handle on that. Uh, today I would like to give you a handle on love. Okay? Ava, Ava Sashem. Loving God, uh, to so give you some type of uh, clarity in the, this, uh, actually, uh, into this topic. And in many ways, this topic is really misunderstood. You know, a guy goes into a restaurant, he says, You know, what would you like to order? Oh, I'd like to order a hamburger. I love hamburgers. Now, that's hard to believe that he really loves hamburgers. In fact, you know, you really wonder what in the world does he mean by love hamburger, you know? I mean, if he loves hamburgers, that's what the word love means. The guy says, I love my wife, right? Like, I love a hamburger, right? I hope not, right, for his sake. Uh, so, <clears throat> what we have to understand is, first of all, what is love, really? Uh, which I'm going to try to do to end. Uh, uh, then we we'll go into the ideas of, well, when a person loves something, what's the results? What does he exhibit? How does he behave? <clears throat> which, we, which is a very interesting topic. And then, of course, ultimately, we're going to go into um, how, do you get, how do you get somebody to love you? How do you get yourself to love somebody else? You know, important idea. And, of course, the ultimate idea is how do you get to love God? Which is obviously a very critical. How do we know that? Because in Krishna, which you say twice a day, your hafter is a shemel kecha, and you love the Lord your God. Clearly, that's very critical, obviously, you know. <coughs> Uh, and the, the, what's interesting about it is how can, how can anybody demand an emotion? Think about that. You can't demand an emotion. Either you feel it or you don't feel it, right? So what does it mean that the Bansham says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might or possessions? Al Chazal translated. Uh, so we really have to understand what that means and so on, you know. But in any case, <coughs> What really is love? What is it? Well, first of all, <coughs> love is clearly a feeling or an emotion, right? It's a feeling, it's an emotion that a person has. But what's the nature of the emotion that a person has when he loves something? And the answer is really uh, the concept of love is really attachment. When you love something, you feel attached to it. And that has to be obviously explained what the concept is, but when you love something, you feel attached to it. And that's the concept of loving something. When you like something, you don't feel attached to it. You know, if, uh, you know when you like something, it simply means that, <clears throat> that you like the experience of it and you'd like to do it more often. But that's not the concept of attachment. You see, love is far much greater than the concept of liking something. You see, so um, liking again, you want to experience more often because obviously you enjoy it, uh, it is beneficial, uh, you take pleasure in it and so on. <clears throat> but love is much greater than that. <clears throat> love is the concept of that in some way <clears throat> you feel attached, connected to the love object. Now clearly it's an interesting emotion, <clears throat> you know. The Russian clearly created in man the feeling of love to want to be attached, which is very interesting. That's a nivro, it's a created feeling. The emotion is a created concept or emotion, feeling that Russian placed in man so he can feel this Avas Hashem, you see. So therefore the question is, <coughs> what does it mean to feel attached to something? or connected to something. Well, <clears throat> let's take a look. What, what are some of the expressions or manifestations of love? 
Okay, and I have here four, four ideas which I think uh, there could be more, but uh, four ideas which if a person loves something or somebody, let's look at a person, right? And then there are four ideas that he can manifest or express himself. One, he's very careful that if you love something and therefore you want to be attached in a certain way, you, don't, you, want, you do not want to bring harm to that person. If you remember last week, I talked about year of fear, that is actually a fear from love. Remember I talked about Moshe Rabbeinu, <coughs> that he didn't want to accept the mission because he realized that it's impossible not to make a mistake. And therefore he will bring disappointment to the Barashlam. <coughs> and, and in a certain sense, Kaviyochel, as they say, as, it, as if one could <coughs> say it, you would harm God by making him disappointed. You give him a feeling of, you know, of uh, you, you let him down. So that's a negative feeling. Of course, God doesn't have feelings, but <coughs> clearly that's what he felt. And therefore, that fear that he had came from love. If he didn't love God, he wouldn't care. Okay, so he'd be disappointed. So what? You know, <coughs> but because he had such an incredible avah of the Rabbanisham, he did not in any way want to disappoint him. And therefore he knew that if he accepts this uh, agency, shlichus, right, uh, to be an emissary for God to the Jewish people, he is going to disappoint God in some way. And, it, and that's exactly what happened. He did it several times, not just once. But there was a disappointment several times, uh, and he was punished for that. But in any case, <clears throat> um, that's, that's a love that, that's a fear that came out of love. So, <clears throat> you don't want to harm somebody if you love them, if you really love them. Um, you, you certainly don't want to injure them, harm them. In any way, create a negative uh, position for the person that you love. <clears throat> the second idea, <clears throat> is that not only do you not want to harm them, but you care for them. You care for them. You want to help them, you see. You want to assist them. You want to provide for them because you care for something that you love. For something that you love, why do you care in that sense? Because you want to preserve it. Think about that. If you care for them and you assist and help them, you know, then obviously you want to preserve, you want to make sure that they continue to exist. Why? because you feel attached to them, you see? And obviously, something that you feel for, <coughs> that you um, <coughs> care for, you know, you want them, obviously, like I said, to remain existing, you know, and so on, to, to remain, to have connection with them, to have a relationship with them. So we can say that that's a second concept, caring. That one of the man manifestations of love, loving somebody, is you exhibit tremendous amount of concern and care for that individual. Very important idea. <coughs> okay. <coughs> um, <coughs> yeah, so that's certainly a manifestation. A third manifestation, which gets more what's called abstract. <coughs> you don't want to harm them. You want to care for them, provide for them, su support them, enable them. <coughs> but you also want to be with them. That's an interesting concept. You know, you choose to spend your time to be with them because you love them. So when you love, you have this feeling of attachment, but there's a certain pleasure that is connected to that attachment. You see, and therefore there is a desire to be with them. A guy loves his kids, right? Or his wife. It's usually who you really love is your kids and your wife, you know. Uh, you love your parents, of course, you know, you love your children, you know. The immediate family is usually who you have this tremendous strong feeling of love. <clears throat> you enjoy being with them, you know, basically. You really enjoy being with your kids, hopefully. Uh, you enjoy being with your wife, hopefully. And same thing with your parents, you know. <clears throat> there is an enjoyment. I'm not saying that sometimes you're not turned off, don't get me wrong. You know, your kids are acting up, real brats, you know, and your wife is nagging you to death. And your parents are ordering you around and telling them why you're no good, Nick. I, listen, I realize that there are a lot of situations that what's called, it will interfere with your love. Let's put it this way, you know. You know. 
but uh, basically you love them. <coughs> What's interesting in that concept to be with somebody, <coughs> people don't realize, one of the emotions that will really obstruct love is anger. So a lot of people who are angry. They're either angry with their parents, right? Or they're angry with their wife, for whatever reason, you know. And that anger doesn't mean you don't love them, which is interesting. They may interpret that, whatever happened to the love that I had to this, this woman, you know, let's say it's your wife, right? But the truth is, it's still there. The problem is that there's anger in front of it. And that anger does not allow you, it doesn't allow the love to come out and be manifest, to come out, you see? So don't confuse being angry with a spouse and not loving them. Because deep down, if they were not obstructing you, you would love them. It's a hate-love relationship. It's a hate-love relationship, yeah. yeah. Probably you hate them because you love them. It's uh, one of those kind of things, you know. Uh, but, um, but, you know, there are, there are many things a person can feel towards somebody, but it doesn't mean they don't love them. It just means that there are feelings which have priority and they get in the way. And anger is a classic. You know, where a person, after a while, you know, many marriages really are terrible. Uh, and that, that's another discussion, what makes a great marriage. Maybe I'll give that someday. But anyway. <clears throat> but <laughs> I have a lot of viewers. <laughs> yeah, but before I do that, I got to consult my wife anyway <laughs> to see if she agrees with me. Uh, but anyway. Uh, but, I, but now, you know, it, it's interesting when you think about that. Is anger good? We know that the Chazal say, anybody gets angry, means it's as if he worships idols, as if he doesn't believe in God, whatever. But, but I want to tell you something, which people don't realize. <clears throat> anger is a critical emotion. In fact, if we did not ang get angry, we could not survive. Why? It's interesting. You know, what Chazal means is anger in excess, you see, or anger that's misplaced or whatever. But anger is a very important emotion. The proof of that is that God created us with the ability to be angry. You know why? Anybody know why? Why is anger important? <clears throat> Don't all try to answer at one time. Anyway, <clears throat> Do you ever notice that if you really get tremendously enra enraged, that's, that's anger plus, and if you become livid with rage, that's anger plus plus. <clears throat> you ever notice how you feel? Omnipotent. Incredible feeling of self-confidence. Like, right? And you can do anything to anybody, right? It, it gives you an incredible feeling of empowerment far more than many times what you'd feel when you're not angry. <clears throat> why? Because what the anger does, why does a person get angry? Because there's an obstacle in front of him, right? If the obstacle is beginning, right, you get frustrated. If it remains, you get annoyed. You know what I'm saying? If it really remains, right, you get angry, enraged, livid, and then that turns into incredible hatred. Hatred is nothing more than continuing anger. You know, and so on. But what the anger does is interesting. It, it, it energizes you to remove the obstacle. That's what anger does. Oh, that, that, that's the energy you feel when you get angry, you know? All of a sudden, you have access to tremendous energies, you see? And because you have such energy, you feel empowered. You feel like, wow. You know what I'm saying? And what the Bansham did, he gave you that in order to be able to remove the obstacle that's in front of you. It's a very important thing. If you didn't get angry, you would never have the energy, right? And you'd never be able to remove the obstacle which threatens you. You see? That's anger. Anger is very, very important. People make a mistake. It's excessive anger, really excessive or misplaced anger that you'd be very careful about and so on. Look at today's Pasha by Koyrach. It says Moshe got angry. Right? You know, that, that's anger. Uh, he didn't act as if he was angry. He was angry because they were threatening his what? what what's Koyach threatening to Moshe? They were threatening his credibility and therefore his authority 
as the spokesman for God, right? And they were threatening God, right? In a certain sense. Why? Because if clients will now doubt, if the Jewish people now doubt his authority, they will not observe the Torah. You see, and that's what Kirk was doing. Also. Correct. It was threatening everybody. Yeah. Sure. Because by undermining Moshe Rabbeinu's authority and credibility, nobody would observe the Torah. You see. And, and therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu really got angry. You know? And, and so on. You know? But... Rigzu um, v'altechtu. Rigzu v'altechtu. sin. That's right. Yeah. Yes, that's the concept of getting uh, anger, excited, whatever. But therefore, anger is a very important emotion. So I say this because anger is so, so strong. But never became part of Musa Seder. What? That they should learn how to become angry. No, no. <laughs> well, that's because everybody does it automatically. It's not a problem. You don't have to learn to be angry. You have to learn how to curb your anger. Well, to, to use it the right way. Well, to curb, exactly. Well, that's certainly, exactly. What's appropriate and what is not appropriate. And if it is appropriate, even if it's appropriate, you know, how to curb it, how to somehow limit and so on, you know? I think you can clearly see what what you're just saying. Was that? What you just said is that anger sometimes blocks love. Yes. But love is still here. I think you could still see it. You could clearly see it if, for example, something happens to your loved one who you're angry against. So at that second, the anger group Leaves. Leaves, yeah, correct. And then you're right away. The real emotion, exactly. Emotion. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that's an important idea that you, you could still love people and the anger merely blocks it, but when the anger subsides, or for instance, if your wife apologizes, I shouldn't say, oh, your wife, but if your spouse apologizes, right? So then your anger dissipates and what, re- what comes out again is the love. You see, so that that always remains and so on, you know. Uh, so therefore, the person that you love, you want to be with. There's a pleasure in being with somebody you love. And that because that comes because there's, there's an emotion of attachment. You see? And there's a pleasure in the attachment itself. You see? Sometimes I want to be with people just because I like them. No, no, yeah. I'm not, I'm saying, I'm not saying that you don't want to be with people... Be, you know, it's uh, that you don't want to be them except in this circumstance of anger, of love. No, no, you do. But when you do love somebody, that's always present. You know, you don't always like to be present with the people, but if you do really love somebody, then you you want to be with them. You get a tremendous feeling of enjoyment by being with them. You see. And then another expression of love, which I think in the end is the greatest of all, is you want to cling to the person. You want to unite with the person. Yes. You want to become one. It's, an, it's a tremendous intensity of being with. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> it's not just being with. It's like you want to be with somebody 24-7. You know what I'm saying? You don't experience that very often. You know, you can, there is a time when a person can experience this if all of a sudden they meet their future spouse, right? And all of a sudden you really fall, as they say in English, head over heels, right? And then all of a sudden, like you want to be with this, uh, in the case of a man, you want to be with this woman 24-7. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a tremendous attachment. The attachment is extreme. And you really, in a certain sense, want to be with this woman 24-7. It's almost like clinging. Isn't you know what I'm saying? Just another form of number three? Yes, it is. But it's an extreme... extreme form. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, it is. Because you can love to be with your friends. Yes. But it's not the same way a person loves to be with his family. Correct. Exactly, yes. So, the extent, but I mentioned because it's, it is unique. It's, it's unique in that it's extreme. And obviously, the reason why I mentioned it is because when we get to the Rabbanishlam, God... That's exactly what it's going to become. It's clinging. You see, that's why I, 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 it's very important to mention the differences and so on. Any case, so these are the manifestations of love. You don't want to harm them, right? You want to care and provide for them. You want to provide that which they need. Uh, you know, and then besides doing something for them, you just enjoy being with them. You enjoy their company, their presence. 
And the extreme form of that, of course, is you don't want to leave them at all. See, you can want to be with somebody, but if you take leave of them, okay. That's really also a very big difference between three and four. Okay, I'll leave you for a while, you know, you know, I, 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 you know it's like, okay, I can tolerate what he calls the absence. You know what I'm saying? It means I enjoy being with you, but if, I'm, if you're absent, right, if I take leave of you, okay. Clinging is different. I can't part from you. That's the difference. You see, so it's an extreme form, not only to want to be with the guy, the person, the spouse, 24-7, but there's a pain in the parting itself. It's painful. Got that? that that's a extremely rare. Like I said, the person can experience when he meets his spouse for the first time, and they really fall head over heels, you know, uh, a relationship and so on, you know. And then, and then a person has enjoyment just thinking about their spouse, and then if all of a sudden somebody interrupts that, there's a certain pain because you've just interrupted my pleasure. You see? So it's interesting that, the, uh, that the, the, it can be painful uh, not thinking about that, but that already you've, you've gone to the level of clinging, which is a, a, a very important concept and so on. <clears throat> but the, the emotion of attachment, you know, why is there an emotion of attachment? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a created entity. It's, a, it's an emotion. <clears throat> but <clears throat> what's it really based on? The concept of love and attachment, you know? And the answer is that I, 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 I'm going to bring down that there are five fundamental needs, psychological drives, five of them, okay? There are more. But I, I feel to these, these to be essential. And therefore, somebody who meets these needs, uh, or somebody that you can, you can meet the need of others, that will create the concept called love. Okay? The most basic need, and therefore it's a drive, of all, you know, of, of all humans, is called self-preservation fear of death or fear of uh, non-existence and so on you know uh, so therefore all human beings all creatures for that matter have in them a certain feeling of self-preservation uh, without that who knows what would be <clears throat> I always wonder sometimes what happens if a guy had a button on him you know he had a, t he had a toggle switch right and the toggle switch <clears throat> would be instant death, you know? How many times would a guy press that switch? Interesting, you know? Uh, it's just that it, dying is just a very, it's a miserable way of uh, activity because you gotta go through such a, you know, uh, those people are lucky to have cyanide so you're dead in five seconds. <clears throat> but jumping off a roof, come on, that's not the way to go. You know what I'm saying? Uh, drowning in a pool, come on, it's a lot of pain doing that, you know. Most people don't want to die if they want to die because it's too painful, you see. But if a guy had just a little button here, who knows how many people would press it. Uh, you know, obviously if things got really very difficult in life, you know, where they felt that they couldn't. In other words, I suspect there would be much more suicides if you had a button to end your life then you have to go through the whole process of, uh, you know, of, uh, of uh, thinking of a way to kill yourself, you know. But anyway, <clears throat> so self-preservation is a fundamental need, obviously. <clears throat> the next fundamental need, psychological need, which is critical. In fact, it's, the great, it's probably the greater, other than self-preservation, it is the second greatest psychological need, and it is that which is responsible for all mental health problems that's how singular it is what is that uh, the need for self-worth the need to feel self-respect the need to feel self-esteem that i'm somebody i'm not a nobody you see maybe if you feel like a nobody then maybe you'll feel you'll die so maybe the ultimate reason for self-worth is because of self-preservation think about that but ultimately speaking the most important thing that you have to feel and to bestow on your kids is this feeling of worth. 
that you are worth something. You see, you have, and in that way, the person has what's called self-esteem. You see, and that is a very, very important psychological drive. There's a great deal to talk about self-worth, really. Oh, why does a person have self-worth? Animals don't have self-worth. They don't have inferiority complexes. What an animal has is what's called territorial needs. You know, if you threaten its territory, right, it'll kill you. But that's not because it feels like nobody, because you're threatening its ability to survive. That's an automatic instinct that an animal has to be able to survive, you see. But self-worth makes no sense when you think about that. Why do I have to feel like I'm somebody? I am somebody. Guess what? I am somebody because I exist, right? I don't need more than that. Existence is its own worth. Interesting. So the real concept is why does a person have to feel self-worth? Why does he have to feel like self-esteem? Important. You see that I am somebody. <clears throat> you are somebody because you exist and therefore you have whatever capacities and attributes that the Rabbanisham gave you. Anyway, I'm not going to go into that mystery, but it is a mystery and it is a very important concept why a person has to feel like he's somebody. <clears throat> And not, not like somebody, a body, and not like a nobody, nobody. You see, even the words can convey the meaning of that. <clears throat> but that's the second most important psychological drive, is the feeling of self-worth or self-esteem, <clears throat> you see. <clears throat> the third fundamental psychological drive, although it's not as fundamental as these two, is that productivity. You want to do something. You don't want to sit home. You get a guy and says, okay, you know, I'll give you a million dollars a year. What's the deal? The deal is you have to stay in your house and never leave. Don't, you can't, and not only you can't do anything. You see, just sit idle and that's it. Would you do it? No, no? you wouldn't do it. That's a million dollars a year, come on. No more Panossa worries. What do you think? We do it? Can you learn? Who? Can you learn? Can we learn? No, no, you can't do anything. Believe me, a lot of guys say, I love to learn. Okay, where's the, you know? No, you can't do anything. You have to sit there. I mean, you could look around, examine your surroundings for 400 millionth time, but you can't do anything, <clears throat> right? You couldn't do it. I'll give you a million dollars. See, it's interesting. Why not? Because there's a fundamental need in a human to do something, to be productive. You see? Interesting. People don't realize that. You know, it's very hard not to do anything. You know, you could be lazy about something, but only that's a, but it's limited. And then you're going to get up and do something. Uh, you know, as they say, get a life. You know, so that's a third very important need. A fourth very important need, and you'll understand why I'm going through this. It's not a psychology course. You'll understand what this has to do with love, you know. A fourth very important need is even if I'm productive, fine, that's great. But does it have meaning? Meaning. We underestimate the value of meaning. Everybody searches for meaning. I don't care who you are. Everybody searches for meaning. Victor Frank. What? Victor Frank, logotherapy, huh? Yeah. And funny, he, he, he posited that that was the essential reason why some guys make it in the concentration camp and some guys don't. And in the end, he was right. You know, Freud said it was sex. Adler said it was ego. But uh, Viktor Frankl said it was, it was meaning. And he's right, <clears throat> you know. Um, we seek meaning, you see. The question is, what in the world is meaning? What does it mean? To use the same word. Purpose. Uh, well, a purpose will give you meaning, you see? But what does meaning mean? Not easy to define. <clears throat> but in a certain sense, value. It, it's va the, and when we seek value, is it worth something? You mean, all I, you mean a guy can say, you mean all I live for is to, you know, is to eat, procreate, sleep, drink, take a vacation? Is that, is that what life is all about? You see, what's wrong with that? Because it has no meaning, really. You're strictly doing that which will enable you to survive, right? 
and that will, in it, which will enable you to have pleasure. But there's no value, there's no well, meaning. What's the value of that? Just to be and to live? People intuitively seek meaning. That's a very important component, <clears throat> you know. How many people, at the end of their lives, they ask themselves, what in the world did I do with my life, you know? You know? All it was is the pursuit of pleasure, materialism, power, and cash. That's all it was. Where's the meaning of my life? Where was the value, you see? And that's why people seek all kinds of things. They volunteer for hospitals, you know, to do, or, or chesed, because that gives them meaning, value. Maybe to help others, you know what I'm saying? Or to, uh, to contribute to civilization, all kinds of things, you see. <clears throat> but meaning is a very important psychological drive. Never underestimate the pursuit of meaning. In fact, everything you do ultimately always has the question of, what meaning does it have for me? Got that? What value does it have for me? Okay, so that's the fourth. The fifth is a person seeks to be whole, sholem. Not just meaning, wholeness. That's much more elusive to understand, the concept of trying to, you know, be a complete person, <clears throat> you see. One of the reasons why a person wants to get married because it feels, the person feels that it completes him as a person. That's one of the feelings that a marriage gives you, you know? Is the concept of wholeness or completeness that you want to feel, if you feel, it's not fulfilled, but to, uh, uh, that um, there are things that you feel that if you do, you feel whole, complete, as a person. For instance, some people, if a person, some people feel that if they have, uh, uh, kids, then they feel whole. You see, they feel complete. You see. So that's it. Those are the five fundamental psychological drives, needs and drives. Uh, there are others, adequacy and security and so on, but these are the, f of, uh, the uh, there's also a need for intimacy, there's a need for social interaction, there are, there are many psychological drives, but I've picked these five because I think in the end they are responsible for many ideas. <coughs> you see, what are they responsible for? <clears throat> if you want to love somebody, how do you get to love somebody? Right? It's a good question. See, how do you, is it possible to get yourself to love somebody? What do you think? Yeah. It is. Yes. It is. Yeah. How? By, uh, by giving that person something, building up the attachment. Yeah. And then, which brings you automatically caring how they feel. It actually brings you up to all these levels that you described. Exactly. Before. Now you understand the method of my madness. Exactly. Okay. If you do these five ideas to another person, right, then you will come to love them. It's interesting. You see, the greatest way to come to love somebody is not being selfish, we have them do it for you, but the more you do this for others, the greater will be your feelings of love and therefore attachment. You see, like what? Let's take a look. <clears throat> One, <clears throat> self-preservation. <clears throat> you know, if you provide for a person, make sure that they have adequate living needs, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> that itself will create a feeling of attachment because you're providing that they should be able to survive and maybe flourish. See, that already takes the, it takes the, what's called the focus away from you and it puts the focus on somebody else. <clears throat> Not only that, if you do provide for somebody, then that person becomes very important in your eyes. You create an importance and you cannot love something which you think is nothing. Whatever you love, you have to feel as if it has a hashivas. It's important or significant, you see. So by caring for somebody, or rather by providing for somebody, self-preservation, <clears throat> you know, then that automatically in your eyes where that person becomes in a certain sense important, significant, you see. And that is critical. And therefore you begin to feel attached to that person. 
the second concept called self-worth, right? If you praise somebody and make them feel like a million bucks, you know what I'm saying? Then you will also foster that concept of attachment. Because by giving them self-worth, you begin to see them as worth, and that, and, and not only that, but the fact that you're creating that self-worth in others, that gives you a creative, a tremendous feeling of, uh, of, uh, of love, yeah, attachment, you know? Especially when you do it to your kids. <clears throat> the most important thing, I'll tell you, the most important thing that you can do for your kids, I mean, there are many more important things, but the two most important things that you need to give to your kids, right, is one, you need to make them feel like somebody, worth, give them self-esteem, one, and you need to enable them to feel confident in their ability to survive. Those are the two most important things you can do for your kids. Self-esteem, self-worth, and confidence, which will both happen, so the, the, if you love your kids, that will give them self-esteem, you see. But you need to praise your kids. You need to encourage them. There are many parents that say, ah, come on, you shlamazel, you can't do anything right. You kill the kid's confidence and his self-worth. You see? And many parents make a mistake on that. So those are critical. So if you do that to a, a person, give them self-worth and esteem, then you begin to have the concept of, of, of uh, attachment, which is really what love is. Uh, then productivity, <clears throat> if you encourage them to be productive, you see, again, it's the concern for others that is so, so important, you know, then you begin to feel attached to them. You've taken the focus off yourself and put it on them, so therefore the feeling of attachment, which is really what the beginning of love is, that's what you've done with them by doing that, <clears throat> you know. And again, if you're giving them meaning in life, <clears throat> you see, where they can now understand what to do with themselves. Again, it's the focus all from you onto them. It's the tremendous concern and care that you have for somebody else. That's the greatest way to achieve uh, loving anybody, <clears throat> you see. Uh, in any case, so doing this, providing their psychological needs where you are concerned about them and provide, that will begin to bring out the feeling of love. And the concept of wholeness, okay, when a person has children, then many people feel a concept of wholeness or marriage. Why? Because why does a person love his kid? Ultimately, why? Because they're part of you. A person loves that which is part of him. You see, there's a natural tendency to love your children, you see, because they give you a wholeness. How? Because they're part of you. And when you look at them, you become whole because they're your parts, you see? And that's why kids will give you that feeling of wholeness and you will love them because they make you whole, you know? And the same thing with a spouse also will give you a feeling of wholeness because you begin to view your spouse as part of you, you know, not just a partner in life, but something who share, because they are, they share with you everything, literally everything. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you begin to see them as part of you. They become what's called identified with you. That which becomes identified with you and part of you, you begin to love that. You see. Now then you have the reverse. How do you get somebody to love you? You know? That's how you love them, but you want them to love you, right? if they do these five things, same thing. But if you do it for them, aren't they like automatically gonna love you? If you do what? These five things. Yes, they will love, well that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You will love them, and, they will, and they will love you, correct. It's the reverse, that's all it is, you see. Mm. The critical concept is to take the focus of self and put it on somebody else, number one, but to tremendously be involved in the other person's well-being. And then you become tremendously attached <clears throat> to them. One of the reasons why we love our kids is because our, we, we're so concerned about them. Every facet of their lives, we are there and we are intertwined with every facet of their lives, you see? So it's not just because they're wholeness, they're part of you. 
one reason, you know, because they're your kids, they're literally, literally part of you, right? Uh, but it's also because you're totally wrapped up into their lives from their birth, you know, and even after they get married, it doesn't make a difference, you know, until you leave the planet. You're always involved with their well-being. You see, you know, when they say, hey, uh, hey, dad, I need a loan. I need a little loan. I need money. Well, what does that mean, you know? Yeah, put your hand in your pocket and come out with some money and, you know, uh, so it never ends. It never ends being concerned for your kids. So that, which is a very important catalyst for love. You want to say something? Could we love somebody who doesn't love us yes. by doing those things? We can, we yeah. revert yeah. their feelings towards us? Well, we can do that. I mean, how many people love their spouse? The spouse doesn't love them, you know? But usually, if you go, if you do these things where you are completely wrapped up in a person, really in every different way, ultimately they will love you, yes. Because it's natural to love that individual that expresses love for us and exhibits that with total concern. It is a natural thing. Got that? Great. However, all this brings us now to the avoid of Avas Hashem. See, this was the foundation of how we can understand the whole concept of Ava. <coughs> now, obviously, we cannot do what? <coughs> we can't provide to God. He doesn't need us. We can't give Him self-worth. He doesn't need our declarations of self-worth. He knows who He is. If he's every, in fact, He is everything, right? And so on, you know. <coughs> uh, and we can't get Him to produce something because He created the whole Bria. You see, so we can't do anything. We can't give meaning because he is the meaning. You know, we can't give him wholeness because he's whole without us. You see, so we can't do any of these things, ultimately, that will get us to love God. Uh, when you think about that, you see. But we can give him something that he does not have. It's an interesting concept, you know. When we say, Baruch Ato Hashem, blessed are you God, who did the following, correct? What does it mean to bless something? Tell me. When you say, Baruch Ato, blessed are you, I mean, that's the English translation. Some people want to change it, but Mevoyrach, you should be blessed. What does that mean, to be blessed? I will tell you. Anybody got any ideas? Well, we say it all the time, come on. What are you guys saying? If I walk over and I say, bless you, yes? You should be blessed. Yeah. Should what am I saying? What am I really saying? What do you, say? you, you want to say? You should have more than you deserve. You should have more than you deserve? You should have everything that you need. Let me abstract what you're saying. But when you bless somebody, what you're really saying to them is you should be the recipient of good. That's all you mean. Whether you deserve it or not, I'm not going into that. That's a condition. Forget about that. When you say blessed are you, you should be blessed. What you're really saying is you should be a recipient of all good things all the time. Guys agree? That's what it means. So if that's the case, how in the world can we say blessed be you God? What do you mean he's the recipient of all things? He, he has everything and he gave us everything. So how can, he, how can the creator be the recipient of anything because he creates everything? You see? So the question is, what do we mean when we say, blessed are you God? Good question? What do you say? Go ahead. It doesn't mean that a Kodesh Baruch should be the city. It means a Kodesh Baruch is the Makar of that's because he, okay he's changed but blessed doesn't mean that the other yeah because when I say blessed you should be blessed what am I saying that you're the McCore come on no 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 you have to trans but then you should have said you should have said something else not blessed right <clears throat> look there's two concepts here there's the word and the meaning Baruch doesn't mean you should be the, you're the McCore of everything it means both though Baruch doesn't mean that you should have, it means that you are. Over there, it's the, the word is used in... What do you mean, you, what, do you, what does it mean? You should be blessed in your coming. 
What, was, it's, what does that mean? You, you're the core of everything? Of course not. Right? That doesn't mean that. <clears throat> it means when you come and go, you should be blessed, means that coming and going should be successful. Is, again, it's a recipient of good things. Okay, without, without getting into that, you, you really have to think about what that means. Okay? You can't distort a word, even if it's true. Anyway, <clears throat> no. There is one thing that God does not have. <clears throat> What's he missing? <clears throat> our free will. Exactly. He is missing our avoider. And since he gave us free will, he can't compel us. If he forces us, then what was the whole point? So the only thing he doesn't have, really, right, <clears throat> is our service to him done freely with our free will. He doesn't have that. By definition. Because he can't force us if he did, right, then that's not called free will. <clears throat> you see? But, so therefore, when we say, Baruch to Hashem, blessed are you, right, that you should be the recipient of all good, including our service through free will. And that's the greatest thing you could do for God. In fact, you can't do anything for God except to worship Him or serve Him, right, <clears throat> freely. And that's truly what you give Him. <clears throat> you see? So when you make a bracha, you know, and you recognize that he is the source of everything, whatever, you know, who creates the fruit of the vine, whatever, right? That you, you are expressing your belief that he is the creator of everything with your free will. And that's the greatest blessing you can give God. Your service to him is the greatest blessing. And that's the only thing he does not have. <coughs> Sounds funny, but if you think about it, <coughs> it's logical. And therefore, right? And therefore, if you can do that for God, you will come to love Him. Because that's the only thing He doesn't have, if you think about that. So the greater you worship Him and serve Him, the greater will be your love. Because you're doing something for Him. Interesting concept. So that's idea one. Idea two <coughs> is you need to contemplate your insignificance. <clears throat> that you are zero, really. <clears throat> I don't care who you are. <clears throat> I don't care how wealthy you are. I don't care about your attributes. <clears throat> In the end, we are fundamentally zero. Everything we have and do is Him. The only thing we can claim to be ours is what we do with free will. Bechira, free will. <clears throat> and therefore, <clears throat> you need to contemplate your own insignificance unworthiness that's one and number two then you have to contemplate his exaltedness how incredibly great he is you know we, you know look you know you ever you ever notice this <clears throat> there's a thing called groupies what's a groupie let's take a rock star you know what a rock star is right I mean when the old rock stars I don't know, are the Beatles rock stars? I don't know, the old, uh, you know? Uh, Elvis Presley, these are the guys I remember. <laughs> you know, you know or, or, or take a celebrity, right? Or, uh, you know, not just a rock star, but a celebrity, uh, a movie actor, right? These guys always have groupies. You know what groupie is? These are guys who, uh, who worship these guys and they, they make all kinds of fan clubs. Why do they do that? And the answer is, because if you hang around with somebody who's successful, you're hoping it rubs off on you. You see, that's really what it is. By being with somebody who is successful beyond wildest imagination, you know, and these uh, rock stars, uh, they have millions of people who adore them, you know, and they're wealthy, you know, or movie actors that make a fortune and so on. If you make a fan club, if you associate or you do things where you can sort of like uh, it's called to person not personified. <clears throat> if you can, um, uh, what, yeah, yeah. Well, in a certain sense, yes, yeah. <clears throat> Where you become an extension of them, you see. You know, it's th that's called to identify with them. Then you feel the power and success that they have. It's like a guy says, "Hey, I'm a Yankee fan." You know, what? What? what okay, who cares about the Yankees? You know, but if the Yankees, I think they still win the most World Series. I don't even know what's, you know, right? 
So if a guy says, I'm a Yankee fan, it means I feel good about myself because I'm a Yankee fan. I can identify with them. What? Winning team. Yeah, it's a winning team, therefore I win. It's a way a person gets an ego stroke, you see. So therefore, that's why there's a concept of groupie, you see. So if you understand the concept or the, the, the exaltedness of God, how great he is, and for that you have to think and learn, you have to learn Ashkafa for that, right? then immediately you have a desire to attach to him. It's the same concept. Why? Because we want to attach to somebody that has no deficiencies, no limitations, and no dependencies. Because in some way we feel good about ourselves. That if he's that and I attach, then I can identify with him that way, and I will feel that also. You see, so therefore, if you study your insignificance and you study his godless, then you will stand in awe of the being, you see. And so that's the second thing you have to do. But the third thing is critical. You need to study how the relationship between God and you is. That it's not where he's exalted and you're nobody and he's out there. No, he is totally into your life totally <clears throat> you see <clears throat> you see from the Torah where it says the Bansham says Ki Hashem I mean could you imagine a God saying to you I love you it's like wow I mean what else what else has any meaning compared to that statement you're talking about a God who's completely infinite right and it can do anything right there's nothing beyond him right Imagine a being like that walking over to you and says, I love you. It's mind-boggling. I mean, there is no greater security and assurance of your future with that type of a being. You see? So automatically, somebody loves you, you will love them. Again, because they show you concern. So the fact that the Hashem, your God, loves you, automatically says, wait a minute. I love him. How can I not love that a being that loves me? <clears throat> Number one. Number two, because the Bunshim says, Ki ovicho, he's your father in Hazinu, Kunecha, right? So Bunshim says he's our father, which is beyond belief. It's incredible. And we know that a father loves his child. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> and that a father will go to all lengths for his child and he will be constantly concerned about his child. You see? So if the Bansham, the Bansham reveals that his relationship to us is the relationship between a father and a son or a, or a daughter, child, <clears throat> so automatically that will create love for him. And then of course, if he's our father, what are we? It's children. So Bansham, the Bansham says, You are my children. It says that. Three incredible psukim verses. I love you, I'm your father, you are my children. Tell me, is anything better than that? And this is a being who is infinite. In fact, even infinity does not describe him. This is a being that completely called Yochum. He can do anything he wants, anything, anytime, anywhere. Doesn't make a difference. And that this being should be totally supportive you see, is beyond belief. And that he should say, right, that he's our father and we are our children. Um, when you realize that, it's incredible. And even more than that, even if we misbehave, which we always will do, because we sin. Sinning is a misbehavior, right? He will have infinite Rahmanas, infinite mercy. Even when he has to administer justice he still loves us and he still will be compassionate to us and always being careful oh I have to punish them but I'll do it mildly I'll do it to their possessions and not to their body and so on <clears throat> so take a think about that <clears throat> one of the greatest ways to fall in love with God to use that expression fall in love with God is to realize who he is who we are who he is, right? Infinite, omnipotent, and so on, right? And what he says, his relationship with us, and how he feels about us. He loves us, he's our father, 
we are his children, right? And he has infinite Rahmanas, compassion and mercy. How can you not love a being like that? How? There's no duplicate in the Bria, no duplicate on earth. A child will never love you the same way God does, and your wife will never love you the same way. In fact, the Bansham says in the Navi, you know, greater than a mother loves his, her child, I love you. Wow. Now, how could you not love a being that has that feeling about you? Or has that statement about you? You see? It's absolute incredible. And there are many other ideas. But to contemplate who you are, <clears throat> to contemplate his greatness and his exaltedness, who he is, and then to contemplate his relationship with us, father, children, and then to contemplate his feelings about us, that he loves us. Remember, which is interesting, which is interesting, in the next world, no, before the next world, there's going to be the great day, judgment day. In fact, even before that, a person is judged three times. On Rosh Hashanah, when he dies, and then the end of time where all things will be judged, right? So you can imagine that at any point in time, you could say, well, I don't understand something. You did this to me. Is this the deed of somebody who loves me? Amazing. And he has to say, yes. The Rebbe has to prove to you that everything he did to you was based on fatherhood, childhood, and love. Or else the Torah is lying. Correct? <clears throat> Did you ever think about that? <clears throat> wow, what a claim, <clears throat> you know? <clears throat> and he has to say, he has to answer that. Because uh, it's not you didn't say that, he said that. Amazing, isn't it? So therefore, everything he says about or did to you <clears throat> in the Yom Hadim, not only does he have to justify it through justice, but he has to justify it through being a father, you're his kid, child, and that he loves you. That is a tall order, right? And when you think about the amount of people that have claims against God, you know, <laughs> come on, how do you do this to me? Come on, you know, excuse me. You know what I'm saying? What do we do this to you? How could you? That whatever he's doing to you has to be justified by him in the end of time. As a father would do, as a child, right? And as somebody who loves you. And somebody who has ki rachmem, who has infinite mercy on you. Wow. And I want to tell you something. He'll do it. He can do it. So then we all, uh, we, 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 yeah, our mouths will be open and dumbfounded. That everything he did for us was only because it was based on fatherhood, childhood, and love. It's incredible when you think about that, you know, that he can even do that, you see. And obviously, the Rabbanishim, God has to be able to do that because he said in the Torah, that's what he is. And he's not a liar, God forbid, you see. Therefore, so anything that happens, no, no matter how terrible and horrendous, has this formula or this, or this uh, requirement and so on, you know. It's hard, we, we do not understand that. Like you take the Holocaust, you know, how, we don't stand that at all. I mean, is this the act of a, of a loving father or that with his children? Is this the act of somebody who loves me? Huh? But it is. Based on the Torah, ultimately, that's what it is. And what about the 2,000 years of Golas? <clears throat> you know how many Jews were butchered, killed, maimed, destroyed, annihilated? Unbelievable, right? And God has to exhibit that. You see, it's an amazing idea when you think about that. <clears throat> uh, that we look at God in the terms of being a judge, right? Where he exercises din, justice. But really, these things override and overpower din or justice. You know? And I'll tell you something interesting. <clears throat> Is this only to the Jewish people? God has a relationship with Goyim, you know. It's not what we think, you know. 
I believe God loves Goyim. It doesn't make a difference. We see that when the angels said, you know, started singing Shira because he wiped out the Egyptians and believing they deserved it. They killed Jews left and right. What they did to the Jews for 210 years is beyond belief. You know, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Yet the Boshim says to them, Allah, Maisi Yodai, Tova Bayam, the works of the creations, the handiwork of my hand is dying and you singing Shira? What do you mean singing Shira? Why not? Uh, because these have meaning to God also. Goyim have meaning to God. You see, God loves his creations. Okay, he loves Jews more. Why? Because they do the tikkun. They rectify. Come on. They fulfill the whole purpose of creation. Without a Jews, there is no purpose of creation. That's why the Jews can never cease to exist. But in the end, right? But in the end, he loves us also because he loved Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, the patriarchs, the others, right? He loves what we do. He loves the fact that we're Moshe Nefesh, that we've clung to him, cling, clang, clung to him, no matter what, right? <clears throat> but really, the love of God is really for any being, really, uh, that he created in that sense, you know? Uh, so therefore, if that's the case, uh, it doesn't mean that uh, obviously people do evil and so on. But we see one in a very, very interesting thing is that certainly toward the Jews that everything God does to any Jew, any time, anywhere, anything, must be based on the fact that he's our father, that we are his children, and that he loves us. Now, when you contemplate that, how could you not love God? That's the, that's the secret. Not only how could you not love God, how could you not want to be with the Rabbanisham 24-7? <clears throat> you see? And therefore you begin to think, that's how you do Shavisi Hashem Negdi Samad. I have placed before me God always. Not because it's a chore, it's difficulty. Well, I gotta always think about God, come on, give me a break. No, <clears throat> you see? I think about God, or that's what the Pasuk is, Dovid Amalek said, I have placed God before me always, why? You know, it's, it's not a labor. It's because I love God so much, I can't get Him out of my mind. That's the Ava that a person should strive for. Remember I told you, the, the extreme, that if the person isn't there, there's a pain. <clears throat> True love of God is painful because at the end, he is absent. You know, he's not here in front of you. True Avos, Avos Israel, which is Dvekus, and that's clinging, that's the idea of clinging, is when you love God so much that to be without him is painful. And those people who died because of it, like Benazai, right? They died because the love exceeded the ability of the Neshama to be in the guf. But they died from Dvekus, which really means Avos Hashem, the love of God. <clears throat> and that's something you have to work at. But that's the way you get it, by these ideas, you see. And ultimately speaking, that, that provides, that becomes a tremendous foundation for the Avodah. Because somebody who does something out of love, you know, will always worship God and serve the Rabbanishlam. It's a whole different Avodah. You know, when you do something for somebody that you love intensely, you throw yourself into it, you dedicate yourself, and you make sure it's perfect, you see? That's the same thing with the Rabbanishlam. And in the end, fear God and to love God is the foundations of the Avodah, of the service of God, and all the mitzvahs, you see? And that's what really what Ramchal is saying. Okay. There's a lot of work to be done. Okay. I hope I've expressed, uh, you know, certain fundamental ideas of what love is, yearning, vacas, uh, and, and what she, you know, all, all the different ideas. It's something to really think about, you know. But uh, you really have to think about what God does for you and how much he's involved in everybody's life, even though we don't see it. You know, a guy's looking for a job for the last two years, and he's unemployed, and he has no money. In the end of time, he's going to say to God, how do you do this to me? You know, and the bunch of them say, what do you mean, how do I do this? It's only because I love you that I kept you hanging for two years. You see? So the guy's going to say to the bunch of them, excuse me, maybe you could tell, show me 
How, how is this possible? And when the Bansham shows him, he's going to be stunned how all of this was only done as an expression of the incredible Av that God had. And I want to tell you something. Remember, since God is perfect, yes, Sholem, therefore his emotions, what he feels to us, is perfect. Therefore, the love that God has for a person, for a Jew, is perfect. Nobody, anything could love a person more. The love of God, what he has it, whatever he expresses, is infinite. And nobody in any way can, uh, can re people realize that that is the, the greatest you can have. There is no love that supersedes God, God's love, which is incredible when you think about that. Now, if you can think about that and internalize it, and really look at the, what's called the chasodim, it's another shio, the chasodim that he's done for us is beyond belief, uh, then you come to love God. That, that's how you do it. It's not as difficult or abstract as it seems. You see? Very important idea. Any questions? My daughter asked me today. Your daughter? Yeah. yeah. What, what's the concept of bracha? Meaning blessing? Blessing, yeah. Meaning if I'm married something, if I deserve it, I'll get it. If I don't deserve it, I won't. <clears throat> By you giving me a bracha, what are you adding to? <clears throat> what, what are you adding to to me to 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 what I have? Well, when I bless you, I say you should be blessed. You should be the recipient of good things. Whether you work for it or not. And is that the way it works? I Means if it requires work, so you should be blessed that you should do the right thing. You should you see? do the right thing in order to get to the If that's what's required. If it's not required, you should be the recipient of good things. It says that all good things should happen to you, whether you have to have input or not. It doesn't make a difference. You should be blessed in the sense that you should be able to do the input to give you this. You see what I'm saying? So it really means anything. Those life should shine on you. Is that expression? Life should shine upon you, which means, you know, that all good things should happen to you. And if you have to do something for it, you should be able to do it so the thing should happen to you. See, that make a difference.